Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. Not every killer is a criminal mastermind. Some make obvious mistakes that end up earning them a spot behind bars. On October 13, 1995, two teenage girls were brutally attacked in Abbotsford, British Columbia. And the man responsible would end up behind bars simply because he could not keep his mouth shut and his fingers from dialing 911. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On October 13, 1995, Misty Cockrell and Tanya Smith, both 16-year-old girls living in Abbotsford, British Columbia, were walking to a party when suddenly a man jumped out of a nearby hedge, baseball bat in hand, and ordered the girls to go through the bush. Stumbling through the vegetation, terrified beyond belief, the girls finally made it to a clearing when the unknown man told them to remove their clothing. While Tanya did as she was commanded, Misty took the opportunity to try and fight back, grabbing the bat and hitting the man across the back as his guard was down preparing to rape Tanya. Furious, the assailant quickly overpowered the teenage girl and began beating her into unconsciousness. When she finally came to, she was lying alone in a parking lot. She was somehow able to walk herself to the nearby hospital, where they immediately rushed her into surgery to try and mend the severe fractures in her skull. Remarkably, Misty Cockrell survived her brutal attack. Tanya Smith, however, wasn't so lucky. Her badly beaten body was found in the river later that morning. Her cause of death was officially drowning. Though when the severity of her injuries were documented, it was determined that had she somehow survived being discarded in the river, she would have succumbed to her injuries shortly thereafter. The community of Abbotsford was in an uproar trying to figure out what monster would brutally attack two innocent young girls. But it was his actions after the murder that really had them whirling. After the attack, the Abbotsford killer, the name the press had given him, began a bizarre string of actions that would eventually lead to his capture. First came a series of phone calls to police and emergency services in which he identified himself as the killer and threatened to take more innocent lives. Police were certain the man calling was the Abbotsford killer, as he repeatedly referred to a bite mark on Tanya Smith's breasts, a detail police were careful to keep under wraps. 
He taunted police, asking if they were having trouble finding him and making casual conversation about the victims as if he did not have a care in the world and saying things like, I'll be cruising around looking for someone else. Then the people of Abbotsford woke one morning to find that Tanya Smith's newly laid tombstone had been stolen during the night. It was eventually found when an anonymous call came into the only radio station in Abbotsford and said to look outside. When they did, they found Tanya's tombstone on top of the news cruiser with the words, she wasn't the first, she won't be the last, defacing the stone in pen. He also threw a wrench containing a note to police taking credit for three more assaults through a stranger's front window, one who had no connection to the case. But while his actions were both macabre and horrifically disrespectful, they were also the thing that led police straight to the door of a man named Terry Driver. On the tape around the wrench was a pristine fingerprint that, when combined with the DNA left on Tanya's body, created a profile for police to match any potential suspect against. With this in mind, and with still over 5,000 suspects, the Abbotsford police arranged to have the phone calls he made to the station broadcast for the public in hopes that someone may recognize his voice. Someone did, and called it in to say that the caller, the Abbotsford killer, sounded just like family member Terry Driver. Some reports say the call came from his brother. Others say it was his own mother who turned him in. With a quick match against the print that they had gotten from the tape, Terry Driver was arrested on May 3rd, 1996. When one of the lead detectives on the case was interviewed after the arrest, the 27-year-old veteran said, I hope I never see anything like it again. The way this individual taunted the community and put this community in a state of fear was like nothing we have ever seen before. Terry Driver was an unlikely suspect. One who, had he not matched the prince, may have never been considered a suspect at all. He was a married father of two preschool-aged kids, worked as a printer, had no criminal record, and most shockingly, had a father who was a hero cop with the Vancouver Police Department. Police would later find out that he took those two children with him to Tanya's funeral and would listen to the police scanners to monitor the police's response to his phone calls. Those who knew Terry said he was incapable of such a brutal crime, which was seconded by Terry himself, who denied any involvement in Tanya's death and Misty's attack. But, he admitted, he wasn't completely innocent. According to the testimony he gave at his trial, Terry happened upon the crime and saw a mystery man running from the scene. When he ran over to check on the girls, both were unconscious and Tanya was undressed. Unable to resist his urges, Terry admitted to raping Tanya's unconscious body, after which he noticed the girl had stopped breathing. Panicked, he placed her body in the Vada River, one of his favorite fishing spots, and then drove Misty to the hospital parking lot. According to his lawyers, Terry suffered from Tourette's syndrome, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and attention deficit disorder. Claiming the combination of all of these impairments explained his actions that night in 1995. Because he elected to avoid a jury trial, the decision to convict Terry Driver was solely in the hands of a local judge. Unpersuaded by his arguments, Terry was convicted of first-degree murder and attempted murder, declared a dangerous offender, and sentenced to life imprisonment on October 15, 1997. He, of course, attempted to appeal this decision, but it was denied in 2001. 
But the court system wasn't done with Terry Driver just yet. When he threw that note through a stranger's window in February of 1996, it contained a news clipping for three unsolved murders. That of Linda Tetray, Colleen Shook, and Kim Stolberg, all three of whom had been stabbed to death in 1989. Realizing what he was capable of, police began looking into these murders a little more closely and under the assumption that Terry was now a suspect. He has yet to see any charges in these cases, and it is unclear where the investigation into his involvement stands. He was, however, convicted of the two assaults he mentioned in the letter. In 2006, Terry Driver was transferred from protective custody at Kent Institution to the Pacific Institution Regional Treatment Center located in Abbotsford, British Columbia. According to Tanya Smith's family, they were never notified that the man who brutally murdered her was back in the area. They were distraught, saying, why would you err on the side of the offender rather than the victim? After turning him into the police, both Terry's mother and brother received the $10,000 reward for his capture. The controversial case was brought to court, but in the end, there was no other option and the city had to honor its commitment to pay the reward to whoever stepped forward. After making a full recovery from her injuries, Misty Cockrell now works as an advocate for victims' rights and has devoted her life to helping those in a similar situation. She has since given birth to a daughter, whom she named in memory of her friend, Tanya Smith. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to a terrible thing happened on October 14th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.